lot of people trying to use them in the same context. Reaping what you sow, the biblical principle, is not the Hindu teaching of karma. All right? And again, a lot of people, even Christians, get this confused. Now, I don't know how many of you know Hinduism, but Hinduism teaches reincarnation. Now, that is the principle that we have multiple lives. We die, we come back in some other form. So the things we did in our previous life will cause us to reap consequences in the present life. And the things we do in the current life will bring consequences in the next life. This is the Hindu teaching of karma. So if you weren't a good person, you may come back as a worm. Okay? All right? I asked a Hindu guy one time when I was in India, I said, now, and I, I made sure I was right about the principle. He said, that's right. I said, so what, if I came back as a worm, what could I do as a worm that would get me back to being a human? And he was like, I don't know. He couldn't answer the question. But the idea of sowing and reaping is actually a biblical concept, and it has to do with God holding us accountable for our actions. Of course, the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation, so karma is not a biblical principle. So, as Christians, we need to know the difference, right? I, again, I hear a lot of Christians, I see stuff on Facebook where people use the word interchangeably, and it's just misinformed. When we sow to the glory of God, He lifts us up. When we sow to our own glory, He humbles us. This illustrates for us the fact that it matters how we live. It matters the decisions that we make. Our choices have consequences, either positive or negative. And those choices not only affect us, but they also affect those who are around us. And the problem is that we're, we often make choices that are selfish, and we don't think about the ramifications for other people. And we live in a culture that promotes the idea of instant gratification. Do whatever feels good to you at the moment. And we are deceived into thinking that all that matters is how I feel, and consequences don't matter. Take that drug. Oh, it's just for fun. I'm not hurting anybody else, right? And then I become addicted, and what started out as fun turns into a disaster, and everyone I love has now been hurt by my choice Oh, I'm not hurting anybody else. Come on now. And if I don't get help, I know, I know several people who have died doing something that started out as just fun. Someone gets involved in a life of crime because they want the easy money. They think they are smarter than the police, so nobody's going to catch them, right? 
Now, now I, I know some law enforcement officers, and I have seen some criminals. I think law enforcement's pretty smart. Because those crimes, they may get more and more serious, and then one day they get caught and they spend time in prison. Was it worth it? Hey, they reaped what they sowed. A person in power abuses that power. All he wants is more and more power. He doesn't care about right and wrong. Maybe he did at the beginning, but at the end he doesn't. He just wants the power, and anything he does is for his own position. He doesn't think that God sees. He doesn't care whether God sees or not. All he sees is that he seems to be getting away with everything because he's so powerful. And then one day, he isn't. And it all comes crashing down. His power and his position are taken from him. Hey, American politics has shown us that plenty of times, right? Even, even the religious part of America, where religious people become powerful, and they abuse that power. God holds us accountable. So we're in week four of our series, The Daniel Dilemma, and we have been learning how Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego stood firm in a loving way in a culture of compromise. And the last we heard from King Nebuchadnezzar, he was giving glory to God and recognizing that God is sovereign over all. But by the time we get to chapter 5 of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar is passed, and his son Belshazzar is now king. The son followed in his father's footsteps in his early life, when he didn't recognize God, when he was all about power, when he was all about him being king and nobody can say no to me. So the, th the son was thirsty for power, and he proved to be arrogant and treat God with contempt, and he would pay the price. And what we learn from Belshazzar is that God will not be mocked. I think we would all do well to understand this. Those who mock God are going to pay a heavy price. And we may think we're in control. We may think we can do whatever our heart desires. What we need to realize is that our days are numbered. And one day God is going to call us to account for the life and the choices we have made. So here's the big idea for today. God will not be mocked. So glorify him, and he will bless you. I believe this is true. Now, we live in a culture that is always mocking God. But friends, it's not going to last. Belshazzar would discover that, and we need to realize it too. I, I just hope it isn't too late for a lot of people. And as we, all you got to do is, Look at Facebook, watch the TV, listen to the news, and you see this truth. There are a lot of people out there mocking God. 
But one day it's going to come crashing down. So let's read in Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. And so they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his Wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. I love that. So this powerful king sees something that scares him to death. Belshazzar didn't know what the message meant. He called all the wise men together, to explain to him what, what's the meaning of this. And he offered riches and power to anyone who could decipher this bizarre writing, but nobody could explain it to him. And the king was freaking out. You can imagine. I mean, if we saw something like that, I think we would, we're people of faith and we'd be freaking out, right? He was pale. He was visibly shaken. Finally, his wife, the queen, came to him and she reminded him of this old Jewish guy that his father had once trusted. Some old man, I guess long forgotten, they called Daniel. And they, they called Daniel in before the king to explain this mystery. So Daniel came to the king and, he, and the king offered him all these riches and power if he could interpret the message. And we pick up the narrative in verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. If you were here last week, that was the story. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven 
until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets of his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. And therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parson. Here is what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peres or Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, king Nebuchadnezzar had been a very powerful king. He was a godless king who wanted power and glory for himself. And finally, God was able to break through his hard heart so that he humbled himself and acknowledged who God is. But his son acted much the same way he had in treating God with contempt. And the son was going to reap what he had sown. Daniel pointed out the key thing here. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. And the message was clear from Daniel. The handwriting on the wall meant that the king's time was up. God was going to hold him accountable. God had judged him wanting and was going to take his kingdom from him. Now, friends, this is a very cautionary tale that should remind us of three things about ourselves. Our days are numbered. Our lives are unbalanced. And our hearts are divided. And we need to give God the glory in our lives while we have life. Because our days are numbered. Now this was, of course, the message Daniel gave Belshazzar. God has seen what you have done, and he is calling you to account. And the word mene, God has numbered your days. Now you may remember the, the parable of the rich fool who sought riches over everything else. He spent all of his time focused on gaining more and more he failed to focus on what really matters in life until it was too late. In Luke chapter 12, we read, Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man 
yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Friends, I think the, the warning is clear. If our focus in life is all about me, 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 and not glorifying the God of heaven, we're going to wind up paying a heavy price one day. And our culture will tell us that the only thing that is important is if we pile up the money and the riches, if we get all of the things that the culture has to offer. The culture tells us that the one who dies with the most stuff wins. But a day will come when we realize how foolish that really is. I like Colin Hansen's take on life. He's a left fielder for the Kansas City Royals. He did an interview in which uh, he made these statements. He said, um, uh, you played well, you got promoted fairly quickly, but baseball is fundamentally a failure game. And it's funny. I listen to those interviews after people win the Super Bowl or World Series and stuff, and sometimes I'm like, we're missing it. If we're believers and we're telling people, look, you work hard and do it as unto the Lord. He's, he's going to bless you and you're going to be successful. That's not what this life is about. He went on to say, I hear people use Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As like their pump-up verse that's going to allow them to do things on the field they've never done before. And when you really look at the passage, the Apostle Paul is saying, I can even do jail and misery and weakness through Christ who strengthens me. For me, I have to realize if that's the truth, when I fail, I need to give God glory just as much as when I succeed. If through that people can see that my hope is not in my success or failure, it's in Him, then so be it. Let that be for God's glory. And I think He's got something there. Our life needs to be about the glory of God. No matter what happens in life, it needs to be for God's glory. And our days are numbered, friends. Hebrews 9.27 reminds us, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, this is something we all come to. Belshazzar wasted his life because he lived only for himself. Craig Hodges, in his book, The Daniel Dilemma, writes, Only by following God and living for Him will provide the kind of deep significance we crave and were created to enjoy. He goes on to write about 
a sermon series they did at their church called 30 Days to Live. How would we live our life if we were told we only had a month left? How would we spend our time? Who would we spend our time with? What conversations would we have with those we love? What would you stop doing if you knew you had just a few short days before you met God? Suddenly, the things we used to think were so important wouldn't seem quite so important, would they? And the things we pushed to the side and thought we would get to later, they might become much more important. You might remember in 2004, some of you were alive back then, Tim McGraw released his album, Live Like You Were Dying. Anybody remember that and that song that went with it? Now, his father was a well-known baseball player, Tug McGraw, and he found out he had cancer, and he would end up dying from that cancer. And the words of that song remind us of this truth. The authors of the song, Tim Nichols and Craig Wiseman, also had family members who received diagnoses of cancer. Getting that message caused them to have a new perspective on life. So when Tim McGraw saw the song, he decided he wanted to sing that because of what happened with he and his dad. And it would become a number one hit. But the theme of the song is found in these words. Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. What's, what is it about that knowledge? Maybe it helps to clarify things. What's really important? Is making more and more and more money more important than building my relationship with my family or building my relationship with God? Is gaining worldly wisdom as important as gaining spiritual wisdom? Is seeking after the pleasures of the world more important than seeking after God? Is my time with the people I care about only focused on worldly pursuits? Or am I making the most of my time to share God's grace with them? Friends, as Christians, we should live every day with a sense of purpose. Like it was the last day we have. We need to put first things first. Now, as we ask those questions, we discover... Sad to say, and I discover the same thing, that our lives are often unbalanced. Like Belshazzar, many people are chasing the things of the world. We often find ourselves chasing what the culture is offering. And God's message to Belshazzar indicated that God judged him. He wasn't the man he could have been. He was arrogant and self-reliant. He did not glorify God. The handwriting on the wall said it all. Tekel, you have been weighed and you have been found wanting. We have to find a balance in our lives, friends. We have to make sure that we make our priorities the right priorities. We must make sure that God is on the throne of our hearts. In Psalm 39 we read, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. 
Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years has nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. When God reveals this truth to us, we may have to make some tough decisions in our life. What do I say yes to and what do I say no to? If our days are numbered, how am I spending them? That was the question for Belshazzar, and he failed that test. He was found wanting in how he was using those days that God had given him. How do we determine what our focus is going to be on? What's the measuring stick to which I say yes or no? Well, here's a test that could help us. Ask yourself, what will have the greatest impact in the world for God? What would have the greatest impact on the kingdom of God? What am I doing that will last beyond me and my life? Who am I talking to about God? How am I giving God glory with my words and my actions? How much time am I focused on the world's sources of entertainment versus spending time with God or serving Him? Do we spend more time glorifying ourselves and the things of the man over God? Is my pursuit of money more important to me than my pursuit of God? Now, friends, I'm not saying that we can't enjoy movie or sports or things like that. But what I am saying is that we are so far out of balance. We are spending so much of our Time on worldly pursuits and hardly any time on godly pursuits. So I, wanna, I want us to take some time considering our days. Where can you find more balance? If your days are numbered, how do you think you should respond to this message? It, it, is God... With his hand saying, your days are numbered and you have been found wanting up to this place? You see, the fact is we are so out of balance and this reveals that our hearts are divided. The phrase, the handwriting on the wall has become a fairly common phrase, meaning there's a sense of impending doom. Right? If somebody says, well, the handwriting's on the wall, you know, that's not a good thing when people say that. Something unwelcome, something unpleasant is coming around the corner. And that phrase actually comes from this scripture that we've read today. Parson or Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The word literally meant split up or divided. The handwriting on the wall informed Belshazzar that his kingdom would be divided. He wanted to be the king of Babylon, as great and as powerful as his father had been. The last thing he wanted was a divided kingdom. But the kingdom would be divided and Belshazzar would lose his position in it. In fact, he wouldn't only lose his position in the kingdom, he would lose his life 
that very night. If we don't work to mend our divided hearts, we can die. Now, I'm not talking about physically dying, but we can die spiritually. And I think everybody here knows what I'm talking about. Our hearts are divided because we're attempting to straddle the fence between God and the culture. We're trying to live in both worlds. And friends, it can't be done. In 1 John 2, 15-17, we read, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Sin often seems more attractive to us than righteousness. And certainly the world promotes sinful lifestyle over righteous lifestyle. Uh, when was the last time that you saw a sitcom where a Christian was shown to be the good person? They're always, they always are made to look like a bigot or an evil, mean person. And so part of our heart is chasing the sin while part of our heart is chasing righteousness. And it's frustrating, isn't it? You might remember Romans 7, 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I do, or for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And he goes on to write in verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Try to say that stuff real fast, and you'll get all tongue twisted. What I want to do, I don't do. But we have this struggle in life, don't we? I mean, this is every person's struggle. I know what I should be doing, and I'm not doing it. And I know what I shouldn't be doing, and I keep doing that. Does anybody else struggle with this? <laughs> I'm a preacher, and I'll struggle with this, right? It doesn't matter what position you're in. We're all human beings, and we have this struggle. But we also have what Belshazzar didn't have. We have Jesus. Amen? We got Jesus. We have grace. We have the Holy Spirit. And what we need to do in our lives to find more balance is to become less divided between the world and the Spirit. We need to feed the Spirit and starve the sinner. You hear what I'm saying? Instead of being divided in our loyalties, we need to decide to be committed to Christ and to die to our sin. 
We read in 1 Peter 2, 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Friends, isn't that good news? Even those who have lived their lives far from God, even those who have you know, been chasing after the things of this world, divided you know, between their loyalties and you know, confused and all that, we can change the course of our destiny. I want to close with a, a story that I read. It's a powerful story. Pastor Steve Yeshik from the Crystal Lake, Illinois, lost his sister Judy after a five-year battle with cancer. And she was a woman who Steve described as a, a party animal, a big drinker with a self-contented lifestyle. She was somebody everybody loved because she exuded excitement and a thrill for life. When Steve tried to share Jesus with her over the years, she would laugh it off and keep partying. But at the age of 44, her world caved in. You could say she saw the writing on the wall. She found out she had breast cancer. She later learned that her husband had cancer too. And adding to that devastating news... Her husband said, I don't love you, I'm having an affair, and I want a divorce. I tell you, talk about the bottom dropping out. And it was in that context that she began to ask eternal questions, and soon she accepted that invitation to follow Jesus. And from that time until her death, Jesus and His Word and purpose became her priority. With the same gusto she lived life as an unbeliever, she now approached her new life in Christ. Her greatest aim was winning others to Christ. She boldly shared her faith even as she was undergoing surgery after surgery, praying for miraculous healing from the Lord. But she ultimately came to see the greater miracle would be that her friends and family would come to know Christ. Even as she was struggling for every breath, she talked her way out of the hospital about 10 days before her death, and she was baptized and publicly proclaimed Christ as the only way to salvation. And she invited everyone she knew to come to her baptismal service. She powerfully and urgently shared her testimony. Her 84-year-old father came to faith in Christ, and was baptized that day, along with her ex-husband, a number of nieces, a college roommate who was a New Age cultist, her aunt, her sister, and others. And 10 days later, Judy died. Even still, more people came to know the Savior as a result of her choices when Steve read the message she had prepared for her own funeral service, another hundred people came forward to receive Christ that day. I'd say that Judy came to understand that her days were numbered. She recognized that if she continued down the path she was going, she would be found wanting. Her divided heart needed to change.
And she found a way to be focused and to use the time she had for things that really mattered. And friends, I want to tell you, we can do the same thing. And I want to challenge us all to realize that, yes, our days are numbered. We don't know the number of our days. But we can look at our lives and tell that we're unbalanced. Our hearts are divided. So let's determine now to change the course that we're on. And remember that God is not going to be mocked. So why don't we glorify God while we have life so that He can bless us in the days we have left. Father God, David saw the depravity of his culture. In Psalm 12, he recognized that no one is faithful. He saw that no one was loyal. Everyone lies. He saw that the flattery of mankind's lips. But he also knew that they harbored deception in their hearts. And several thousand years later, here we are, Father, the condition of man is much the same. Sin is still rampant and the culture is still godless. And it's trying to force us into compromise, Lord. The human race is still being destroyed by sin. And David's prayer is our prayer. Oh, Lord, keep us safe. Protect us from the wicked who freely strut about. When what is vile is honored by the human race. Still today, people mock you. Still today, people glorify evil. Still today, the world sets itself up as God. How long, O Lord, before we see the handwriting on the wall and understand it? Our days are numbered. Our lives are unbalanced. Our hearts are divided. Heal us, Father. Heal our land. Like David, help us to cling to our faith even as the culture pushes us to compromise and help us to speak your truth as he did in love. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Father, use us for your purpose in the days we have left. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.